Bible Unmasked. We are on episode number nine, and we're so glad that you've come and you've joined us again. Our viewers, you know that this premieres on um, um, every Sunday evening at 7.30 on our YouTube channel, PlantationSDA.TV. So please share it with your family and your friends. I'm Elizabeth. This is Dexter. And we are so glad to have Andrea will be with us today. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you. Yes. So, um, Dexter, we are in season two, and in season two, we are studying and reading the Bible a little bit differently and hoping that we're getting you more interested in wetting your appetite to dive into God's word and to find those practical tips. And we're doing that through reading through themes. So today we are doing the book of Nehemiah. Can you tell us um, about that book and the theme? And why did you choose Andrea to join us today? Right. So the theme is building through discouragement and distress. And um, Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. And a cupbearer meaning if somebody wanted to poison the king, they would get Nehemiah first. And I want to let all my church brethren know it was not grape juice he was tasting before the king drank it. <laughs> Wine, all you island people, rum. Um, and, uh, but God stirred his spirit. He asked his brothers, they were visiting him, and he asked his brothers, hey, what's happening back home in Jerusalem? And they're like, man, it's a mess. The walls are in ruin. We feel defenseless. And his heart was bothered. He couldn't be happy. He even took the risk of being sad in the presence of the king. That could have caused his death. Mm -hmm. You know, and the king said, well, what do you want? Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, I need to go back and rebuild. Mm -hmm. It's in a mess and it's really bothering me. So he went, this, this wine taster, this high official in the king palace went, became governor, but he led the construction project. He became the contractor. Mm -hmm. And so Andrea will be, um, I ran into Andrea at an, uh, a low-income um, elementary school taught by Mrs. Paulsina. Um, she was there as one of the, for Karedi, and I discovered she was a contractor. I'm like, wow, uh, Andrea, I know you get this all the time and it's ridiculous. I'm like, wow, a woman contractor. That is incredible. And I've been just drawn to her, extremely resourceful. I've admired her um, deeply from afar off. And I couldn't wait to have her relate her story as a licensed contractor, as a person who's, who's gotten her hands dirty, um, building projects from nothing into something beautiful. How is your life, how is your career, how does Nehemiah, and his journey being discouraged, distressed as he built, how does that speak to your experience? I couldn't wait to have her chop this up with us. Good. Okay. It'll be interesting to find out that um, as we study the book of Nehemiah, building through discouragement and distress. Before we begin, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that we can glean from your Bible um, practical, practical insights in our own daily life. And I pray that as we are discussing and reading now that we would, um, our eyes would be open to um, what you have to share with us and that the viewers may be blessed. We thank you in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we want to grab our Bibles and go to Nehemiah. I am going to be reading chapter two, verse eight. 
And um, as Dexter said, Nehemiah was the cupbearer and he um, went to ask him to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild. So here's um, verse eight. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. Mm. So we can glean from this that Nehemiah and get a tip is that for purposeful planning, um, as he was being very specific when he was talking to the king. So our question is, how does one learn to become more detail orientated? All right. So, Andrea, this is right, right up your alley because Nehemiah didn't just pray. He didn't just ask, hey, I want everything I need. He laid it out. I, I want a letter. I want timber. I want this. I want protection. Mm -hmm. He laid out the details of what he needed for this construction project. And Andre, you were sharing earlier, because I asked you, I, I said, okay, you're into construction, um, you know, a field that's dominated by men. When, when will you got that passion? And you shared a little bit about your story, um, looking at your father build these big houses. He built all his houses. Um, and you're like, no, he's wasting space. And you first shared that you had a passion for architecture. Um, but construction is even more detailed. I, I just added a room to a house we own in Pampano Beach a couple of years ago. It was a miserable experience. All that <laughs> you had to pull and this and that. I was so irritated. I'm like, no wonder people just go and convert the garage and do it illegally. <laughs> no excuse for doing wrong. I'm just saying. How, so tell us about how do you, and I, it's a difficult question for you because you probably have it so naturally. But how does somebody go about developing an eye for details? Is that something that's, that's could, could you learn that? So, yes, it's something that's learned, but it's learned over time. It's not something that, you know, in a short period of time, you're going to understand the level of detail you need to plan for in order to have a successful project. And what I mean by that is that, Construction in and of itself is a is not a complicated uh, process, but when you add the government and regulations, it becomes very complicated and um, you have to work to a schedule. So one of the key things to any construction project, which unfortunately I think a lot of contractors don't relay to their clients effectively, is really how long something will take because everybody wants it done now. They want it done yesterday. And because they don't wanna disappoint the client, they'll say, I can do it in a month, two months, whatever. They lie. When you, they lie. <laughs> yes, but when you actually plan, when you sit down and put the plan together and you look at what it's going to take to start, we, we have what we call you know, bidding. I mean, first you have to design, then you have to get the drawings approved, then you have to go out and bid it, then you have to pre-plan for construction, then you build. But those are, that could easily be a year, those first activities, depending on the complexity of the project, before you get to building. 
So it takes a lot of details and it takes a lot of planning. One of the things I liked with Nehemiah was one of the first things it told you before it said he asked for letters was he told the king how long he would be gone for. So he had a schedule. He knew this will take some time and he had to give the king an idea of how long he's going to be gone. That is telling you the level of detail that he knew that this will take some time. Now, granted, I was shocked how quickly he was able to rebuild the wall, but (laughs) regardless, he had a plan and, and was able to tell the king, this will take me some time. This is how long I anticipate that I'm going to be gone. So the level of detail comes from having a system and, and it's a very consistent system regardless of the project. And so like I laid out, you know, all the pre-planning, right? The design, getting it permitted, getting it approved, then getting the contractors in to price it. And then you can say, okay, now we're going to build. Because in that pricing exercise, you're, you have to identify everything that you will need in order to successfully build. But how did you go about figuring that out? Besides just trial and error, how did you build your system? Where did you learn that? Oh, so so my background, um, like I'm from Jamaica. Even uh, when I was there, I knew I, I wanted to get into construction. But like I said before, I wanted to do architecture. So when I came here, I started architecture, did it for two years and found that it didn't give the level of detail that I wanted. I, I wanted to truly understand what it takes to build. So then I changed and went into building construction and I have my undergrad degree, my bachelor's in construction management from the University of Florida. Wow. Yeah, so I did that and then after, uh, obtaining the degree, I signed on with a builder where you really start to learn because school gives you fundamentals and theory, but being on the project, an actual site, that's where you're really learning how to build and you're seeing all the parts and pieces, all the players, all the different key stakeholders that must be brought together in order for you to build successfully. Right. Did you have, and you talk about Nehemiah, I mean, he dude knocked this thing out in like 52 days. Yes. And you, you saw the level of stress he had to work under. Um, you know, people taunting him, people distracting him, mobilizing the workers. But, but were there any turning points on any project where you had aha moments and you're like, okay, I need to add this to my system. Uh, this is going to teach me to be more detail-oriented for my next project. This is what I missed. You have one or two experiences like that? Um, I would say, yeah, I mean, look, you every project, and I think that's what I loved about construction, was I, I, I don't like to be bored. I like to be learning all the time. And every project comes with its own set of challenges. Um, You know, you you could have a project that's very simple and one that's very complicated. So I'll give you one example where um, we we right now what I do is I build a lot of chase banks. So any new ground up construction in line for chase, I'm responsible for those in the southeastern region. So from the Carolinas, Georgia, Alabama and Florida. Now, different regions build differently, different codes, different 
um, requirements. So for instance, um, in Georgia, you can't just turn in a set of drawings and expect to get a permit within a month. You have to go through a process that requires what they call an LDP, which is a land development permit, which could take three months. But you have to know who are the key people that you need to meet with in order to get this approved. If you don't do that correctly, that three months could turn into six months or even a year. So what I learned and I teach my team is, okay, before we start anything, we need to have a pre-project meeting, pre-planning meeting with the city. So that's the first thing. So once the, the idea is brought forth that we want to build in a certain city, I have the architects and the civil engineers schedule a meeting with the city. And we meet and we say, hi guys, new in town, this is what we want to build. What are your requirements? It's 3,500 square feet. Um, you know, this is the location that we're building it. What are your requirements? And they will give you a set of guidelines. Okay, in this city, you can't use these new modern style uh, uh, finishes that you have on your design. So when you go into certain areas in Georgia, you have to use brick. Or standard new modern design requires what we call a Nietzsche panel, which is basically a precast uh, panel with uh, some glass and stone. When you go to certain towns, no, this is a old fashioned town. We have to maintain our look. So you have to use brick. So in that case, you're starting to get the information to begin your design. Got it. Got it. Got it. Good. Okay. Let's go on now to um, Nehemiah 2, verse 17. And here, Nehemiah, he's actually doing exactly what you were just saying. He's inspecting Jerusalem. Um, and, and then he talks to the city official. So he's doing that pre-planning there. And he says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Mm -hmm. So our tip here is calling things as they are to motivate people. And so our question is, how do you break bad news to people about their situation and at the same time, encourage them to do better. Wow. This, I, so I, I knew that you led teams um, as a contractor. You have to know who is who. You have to have your plumbers, your electrician, your architect. You have to kind of have your team that you work with and you know their competencies. Uh, but on a building project, like if you had to, I don't know if you've, you've, you've inherited a building project before, but, but how do you tell people, look, what you have here is an absolute mess. But how do you tell that to the same people that you need help from? Um, or if there are workmen that are not performing up to task, but you still need those same workmen. How, in other words, how do you point out um, where people are not doing well while motivating them to do better and have them work on a project with you? Yeah, so <laughs> unfortunately, I think I deal with that most of the time. Wow. Um, with, with the projects that I do. So uh, as you're, as you might be aware right now, during the pandemic, um, 
there was a lot of shortages, shortages of labor forces because folks are out with, you know, COVID, shortage of materials. And I still have to deliver a, a, a project based on a schedule. So the schedule drives everything that we do. Um, and sometimes because of the shortage of labor, you, you're, you end up with not the best quality. Um, either folks are rushing, right, to meet the schedule and something's not done correctly, or, um, you know, they can't get the folks there, so you're behind. And so typically, I, I think the first thing you have to do is assess. You have to assess what the problem is. You have to listen to the folks that are building to understand what are their issues, right? Because the workers, if they're not doing something correctly, there's probably a reason why. Um, if the builder is not meeting the deadline, there's a reason. So before I go in guns blazing, I need to hear what are the issues? What are the challenges that we're dealing with that got us to where we are? So once I understand that, and, and I typically first meet with my team, get their perspective, then I call the, the, the folks directly and listen to them and hear their perspective. Because nine times out of 10, you're getting two different versions of the story. Right. After I hear both parties' um, viewpoint, then I schedule a meeting and I'll get on a call. And, and at this point, it's not my project manager that's running the meeting. It's not the guy that's building, it's me. And so I have to now get everyone off of their sidelines and back together as a team. So in order to do that, I typically, after I've already heard anything, I start my meeting out with, the first thing I want everybody to understand is, I'm not going to go into how we got here. Doesn't matter how we got here. This is where we are. What I want to discuss today is how we're going to move forward to get to the end because mm -hmm. the goal is the end for everyone. Right. So immediately I get everyone off the defensive wall because right. whenever you call a meeting and there's a problem, everyone's coming prepared to defend themselves. Well, I did this because, or you told me, and it's so... The first thing is to try and diffuse the situation and say, okay, I already know how we got there and I've already figured out in my mind, how do we need to move forward? So now I want to get everyone focused on moving forward to the goal. And the only way you encourage folks is to not get into a finger pointing situation. Right. So wow. that's key. Mm -hmm. Wow. Lady, lady, you're good. Yes. <laughs> Did, did, is, is this just me, or I don't know if I was being presumptuous, but did, does Nehemiah resonate with you? He does. He does. Um, he resonates with me, but I, I, I'm really blown away by Nehemiah because, one, Nehemiah wasn't really a builder. Exactly. Right? So, so it's like you are working for the king, and your heart was just so distressed about the fact that your homeland was in ruins and nobody there, all the leaders, no one was taking and making the effort to fix the problem. And he's like, I got to go fix it. And so it's only through 
the divine power of God that he's able to accomplish this and does it in 52 days. Yeah, crazy. So, so it's really mind boggling because I will tell you today, there's nothing you can get done in 52 days. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I so, know for sure. Yeah. So, so I'm really not impressed, but just like understanding the inner workings of God's divine power when you are tapped into that, that you can move mountains, that you can go into a situation and figure out strategically, okay, we're going to build this, but everybody's going to play their part. And as you read the story, everybody was fixing the wall in front of their homes, right? So you you give it into bite-sized pieces so nobody feels like, I have to leave everything else that I'm doing to come and build this wall. Man, I don't want to do that. Instead, he's like, let's divide and conquer. I just think it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You you just crossed over from contractor to preacher slash motivational speaker. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Makes you want to read Nehemiah. And and it just uh, um, gets more of an understanding. Thank you for sharing that. That's great. Let's keep going because I want to hear more here and what your insights are. We're going to go into chapter four, verse six. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. So here is our tip that we can get from that is focused and not distracted. And our question is, how do you keep your team focused from distractions? Right. So what is generally some of the major distractions you have come across um, that pulls your team from the work they should be doing? And how do you refocus them? Right. So, um, you know, in a large organization, oftentimes everyone has multiple responsibilities. So you may have your key or core responsibility, and then there's all these additional things that you're expected to do, you know, whether it's, oh, um, I need you to mentor someone, or I need you to help do a presentation to go after more work. And and these aren't your your absolute day-to-day responsibilities, but these are additional things that you're asked to to do as part of a team. Um, One, you know, folks recognize if you don't do a little bit more, sometimes you don't get the trajectory to move your career. But to actually stay focused on the key things, because if you're not building, um, you're not earning. And if you're not earning, your company will not grow. It will not sustain. It will not survive. So um, one of my project managers, my senior project managers, very well versed in construction, but oftentimes gets distracted by other things uh, that that takes him away from focusing in on what needs to get done. So it could be um, uh, meeting minutes that needs to occur, right? And, And so he's so bogged down with that that he may forget to follow up on ordering materials or making sure materials that we know will take three months to get um, has already been released, or if there's something that um, requires an approval, that that's happening. So in order for me to keep them focused is I have one-on-ones with each member 
Mm. every week because someone has to keep you to kind of pull you back if you're if you're veering off the the pathway so i do one-on-ones we have a list of things that we need to accomplish and what i'm doing in in a conversational manner it's not like a beating stick but in a conversational manner is like this is our time to talk this is your time to tell me what issues you have. It's your time to, you know, pick my brain on, hey, how can I do something differently? And, and that helps to keep folks guided. The other thing, just knowing that they have to meet with me weekly, they know that, okay, she's going to be asking me this, 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 this. So I need to make sure that these things are done. So it's accountability. It's, it's, it's trying to keep folks accountable, but, in a manner that they are not fearful of it, but it helps them to plan, pre-plan, and stay on task with, with what needs to happen. And I like how you're sharing how, you know, the Bible has all these everyday stories and how it applies to our life then and how, you know, you can relate with that. So that's great. Thank you. Let's keep going here to, um, again, in verse chapter four, and we're going to verse 14. Um, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. So our tip here is facing fears with faith. So how do you work through your biggest fears? And the context of this is um, the, the neighboring people they were now threatening to harm them. First, they tried distracting Nehemiah and say, hey, come, let's have a meeting. And Nehemiah's like, man, I, I have work to do. You know, sorry. And um, when that didn't work, then they wanted to, to physically harm them. Um, and he had to kind of motivate them. So that, 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 that's on you. Before you answer this, though, how have you, and I just had to ask this, this gender question, have you had to like when you have a new project and you show up and they see it's a female do you have to earn your respect or is it given like it's given um if there were if it was a male contractor so so i can say it's funny but but we still have those you know challenges but um I've been able to navigate that over the years in, in the way I've done it, and, and I've never had an issue, um, is twofold. One, if I go into a new environment where no one knows me, they don't know my reputation, they don't know what I've done, my first approach is always, I know nothing. I know nothing because they're assuming I know nothing, right? So I go in and I listen first and I ask a lot of questions, but based on the questions I'm asking, it becomes very clear, very evident, very quickly that I know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. So, so my attitude is always, and I like to preface my questions sometimes just depending on the the intensity of the the, the personalities uh, you know forgive me just trying to make sure i understand this if you could just explain to me how do we get this to happen here and they have to explain it 
And then once they start explaining, I start poking holes at what they're telling me. Then everybody relaxes because they realize I know exactly what I'm talking about. There's nothing that that's, that's and, and the intensity of the questions that I ask make them realize I'm not a junior. Like I've done this multiple times. So so very quickly in meetings, I've always used that strategy. I've advised even young men to use that strategy because a lot of times you have the reverse. I've, I've had, whereas the female and not just a female, but a black female who's short <laughs> uh, coming in, they're like, what do you know? But the, the reverse happens for young black males who go into situations where it's predominantly white males, wherein their approach is they're trying to prove that they know. You know, oh, I, I belong here and I'm going to prove to you that I belong here. And I've advised them, no, do not go into your first meeting trying to prove how much you know. Go in humbly asking questions as if you do not know, because that is easier for someone, a senior person to digest that you're willing to learn versus that you're coming and telling me everything you know. And you know how it's like you're a young bud. Young bud don't know storm is a, the saying they used to say in Jamaica. Like you, you don't know this yet. So you need to just sit back. But if you have the right approach, you will get people who are in your corner to support you versus creating a battle. So so that that's key for me in, in my career. <clears throat> that's helped me. I mean, throughout powerful. Wow. Mm. Talk about your biggest fears and how you work through them. Um, my biggest fear has always been a financial failure. It, it's just been a thing that through the years, watching my dad work very hard and not, not uh, achieving the level of success he should have achieved based on how hard he's worked. And so that's always stayed with me. And I think in life, the thing you fear the most is the thing that you're going to be challenged with. That challenge will come at some point because you have to overcome that thing. And I've only learned this probably in the last six to eight years of my life that whatever you are fearing, you know, like I don't want this to happen. It will come because that challenge must be overcome. But my facing that fear I had, I had, I was taken through a very difficult situation, extremely difficult. And the only thing that got me through was God in, in no question, no doubt. It's the only way I got through it because it was just a situation that I didn't create, but I was faced with dealing with and I couldn't solve it. I, I mean, I'm very good at problem solving. That's one of you know, my greatest attributes, but this particular problem I couldn't solve. And so I started developing a habit of walking, taking long walks, Saturday mornings. And that became my, my time with God. And I mean, I walk eight miles yesterday. I did 12 miles and I just immerse myself in spiritual music. And I just walk and I just talk to God. So you might see me walking on the road. You might think I'm actually, the good thing is I have the headphones in, so people might think I'm on the phone <laughs> talking to somebody. But in actuality, sometimes I'm just talking out 
to God, like, this is my space. This is where I can release my fears, what's bothering me. And, you know, things become revealed to me through those long walks. Just the answers come to me. You know, I won't say God is talking to me, but I know he's revealing answers to me, whether it's I brought you this far, I will take you all the way. You And, and it comes through the songs that I listen to, you right. know, just the encouragement that I need sometimes, the, the, the thing to say. I mean, it's powerful, but I have found that, you know, there I'm so busy all the time. It's like I'm on one call to the next that even after my day to day at night, I still have so much that I'm going through dealing with reading, whatever. It's almost like there's no time for the spirit of God or the word just to get that revelation. So these long walks have just really made a difference for me to be still. And, and it's, it's amazing when I started doing it, uh, uh, Elder Dion preached a sermon at church that talked about being still. Mm. Um, and I had watched an, uh, like I was reading in the Bible where it said, be still and know I am God. And then Elder Dion preached and it was the same message. And when I walked, the songs that we were playing was saying, be still. Oh, wow. And it was just so powerful that Elder Dion said, when you keep hearing the same thing over and over in different you know, ways, that's God's way of, of, of revealing something to you. And, and it was just so powerful for me. It made a major impact on me. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I love it. And you know, it's interesting. You can only know he's, who is God when you have learned to be still. That's yes. good stuff. That's good stuff. Wow. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So breathtaking. Um, Sister Andrea, I don't know how to say thank you. I, you know, just getting you was a miracle. You know, it's pretty Lord, <laughs> how do I get Andrea? Or, because I know you would be crazy busy. So yeah. when you were willing, I was, I was extremely grateful. So thank you again for making this happen. I, I wish you continued favor to you and your family and, and the team that you lead. Um, and, I, and, and I wish you favor on those 12 mile walks. <laughs> I, I walk two miles. I'm like, oh, that's good enough. <laughs> yes, thank you. Our, our next episode is going to be episode 10. And we're going to be doing the book of Esther. This is going to be riveting, man. We are going to be studying the theme for Esther is God's timely intervention. And yes. we're going to have some folks share their journey of when God showed up in the nick of time. time. Yeah, to just bless them. So tune in. It's 7.30 on Sunday evenings, Plantation as their TV. Um, tune in and we'll see you next week. Yes, thank you again, Andrea. And thank you to our viewers. You Again, we want to encourage you to remember to share this with your family and friends. And to close, um, Andrea, if you could pray for us, please. Sure. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for all your blessings, for the good things, for the challenges, because the challenges bring us closer to you and let us know that you are the living God, that you're here for us and that you will never leave us. Thank you for all your mercies. Thank you for this, this platform for us to share and for others to learn and grow and know more about you and 
more importantly, to believe that you are a real and living God. I thank you for Pastor Dex and his wife. I thank you for this opportunity to share my story. And I ask that you will just continue to bless all those who hear and listen and would share your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen.